When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The, the, the games are over, but the game never stops. Never stops. This is College Football Overtime with Garrett Chapman and Abe Gordon. Welcome in. We are College Football Overtime. Garrett Chapman and Abe Gordon. Abe, we had a crazy week. We have some chaos that's brewing in college football, and we are really excited to get into all of that conversation this evening, or this morning, I should say. Yeah, so Georgia, Georgia Tech, Alabama, Auburn, Michigan, Ohio State, tons of huge games. And it felt like we had the opportunity to lose a lot of games or or to lose, jump into some chaos, uh, but that didn't end up happening. I think we we had two top 10 teams losing. Louisville is included in that total. but look, the winners only won by what? An average of 5.8 points who played on Saturday. We have a lot of college football to talk about. Abe, do you feel like we're running headfirst into something crazy? I actually do not. Uh, I, I think we narrowly escaped it on multiple fronts this past weekend, to be honest, between Alabama, Washington, Florida State, uh, obviously the way things ended in the Big Ten. Uh, I, I thought we were close in a number of situations, but ultimately we did avoid it. I I am on the other side of, of where we are heading into conference championship weekend. I think it's pretty clear cut in, in my opinion, if certain teams win, they're in, if certain teams win, they're out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it'll be the, 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 the difficult discussion that many people think it will be. Yeah. One of the biggest ones that, that we'll get into quickly, the university of Kentucky, they beat the Louisville Cardinals. I think it's a, what the, the fifth year in a row that they've won this game, something crazy. They've, They've really dominated this 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 football game. Uh, Mark Stoops and company, 38-31 is your final. Jack Plummer with the interception here. Jawar Jordan actually puts together a pretty good game despite the hamstring injury, uh, as does Jamari Thrash, 60 yards for, for the wide receiver in this one. But the biggest thing is the runner-up, potentially, in the ACC, the number two seed in the conference as we head into championship weekend, now has two losses. Where do they fall in the rankings? How does this affect Florida State? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, in terms of how it affects Florida State, if you're desperate to make that argument that an undefeated Power 5 mm-hmm. conference champ doesn't deserve to be in because they've lost their starting quarterback, it, it does open the window a little bit. I, I don't believe that. That's not an argument I would make, but that argument is there. You beat an unranked Florida team that's not going to a bowl if you're Florida State, and then you're going to beat a Louisville team. If you beat the Louisville team, you would beat a Louisville team that's somewhere in between – maybe 15 and 23. I, I, I mean, I, I do think they fall quite a good bit um, to be honest. So yeah, I, I mean, I understand it, but I, I am still on the side of if Florida state wins, they deserve to be into the college football playoffs. Uh, to me, the big story of this game is 
And we've all seen the rumors and uh, the Mark Stoops situation, right? First, he was going to Texas A&M. Now he's not. Um, I do wonder if they lost this game, if he'd go. Like, like it almost mm. felt like a situation where before the game, he's like, okay, like, let's do this. Let's finalize it after the game. Then after the game, he's surrounded by everyone. He's got the emotions. He's got his teammates hugging him or yeah. his players hugging him. And he just got caught up in it. And he was like, on second thought, like, I kind of like what's going on here. I actually uh, think that may have played a role in, in keeping Mark Stoops was the win over Louisville. So uh, that's obviously a, a huge a momentum swing, I guess, for the Kentucky program. If you will, we can get into the idea of Mark Stoops at AM later or now if you want. Um, but but that's the biggest takeaway out of this game for me. I, Louisville was a little flat. Uh, doesn't mean they'll be flat a, a week from now when they do take on Florida State in the ACC title game. They didn't have the explosiveness. And we knew this would be a concern between the injuries to Thrash and Jordan and the limitations. Yeah. They just weren't 100%. We knew those quick strike sort of team may not be there and they weren't and Kentucky played a good game Devin Leary stepped up finally uh his second big game of the season if memory serves and and they they get a very nice win uh against the top 10 team to to, to close out the regular season for the Wildcats yeah big win for for Kentucky for sure and Devin Leary had probably one of the most boneheaded interceptions I've seen on a football field in a long time um he, he's it reminded me of Marcus Mariota for those of you in Atlanta, uh, where he's he falling down and, up there, and then he just sort of yeets it all the way around. It's like, dude, it's third down. Take the sack. It's okay. Throw it out of bounds. Do something. Don't throw it up in the air. He just threw like a, a duck to the other team, and um, I don't know which defender actually inter- intercepted it for Louisville, but it set Louisville up for a touchdown. Then, and, and that was uh, almost it. Almost derailed the entire game for Kentucky, but. Look, at the end of the day, Louisville loses this game. I agree with you. I don't think that Florida State, if they end up beating Louisville in the ACC championship game, they're, you're not keeping them out. All this did is say that the ACC needs Florida State to win this game if they want to have a representative in the, in the college football playoff because you're not, keeping, you're not keeping Florida State out. You're just not. It's not happening. I don't care if Jordan Travis is playing or not. I, I've seen folks on Twitter talking about how uh, well, this well, if this happens, and like, oh, but we want the best games. I'm like, no, it doesn't come down to that necessarily. There, there are tw- 21 other guys playing football. You know, like there are other people on the field who are doing things to affect the outcome of football games. Like, do I think that Florida State can win a national championship without Jordan Travis? No, but that doesn't mean that they don't belong. They're still they'd still be 13 and 0 in a Power Five conference. That doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. So there's no chance that they they get a, they get eliminated. But we do have four undefeated teams. We have four one-loss teams that are within striking distance. Uh, Texas is one of those teams. Oregon is another one of those teams. Both of those just trounce their opposition on mm-hmm. uh, big games. Uh, 57 to seven for Texas, 31 to seven for Oregon in Civil War. Did. I think that either of those teams have very good shots. I think Oregon is in better in a better situation just based off of where they have stood in the college football playoff poll and the fact that they would have to beat one of the undefeated teams currently in the top four. So if they win out, I think they control their destiny. But can you say the same for Texas? No, I, I think you're right. Oregon's in a pure win-and-you're-in situation. I believe personally that Alabama is too. Uh, the eight, the the winner of the SEC championship game, Alabama and Georgia, 
the winner of the Pac-12 title game, Oregon and Washington, they're locks to me. Now, I don't know which team it is, but those teams are locked. Whoever wins between Oregon and Mm. Washington is in, and and Texas is left needing needing help, potentially from Louisville, potentially, if you want to stretch the imagination a little bit, from Iowa. Um, You know, I I do think there are two positions up for grabs, Michigan having a huge uh, lead in that, Mm -hmm. and Florida State as well. Uh, But the winner of the SEC, the the winner of the Pac-12 seems to be into me, and Texas is on the outside waiting for some help somewhere. I don't know if if they're going to get a lot of it. I know that Texas needs Georgia to win, um, which is weird to say because, honestly, it it feels like they have been – it's been reflected in the playoff poll that Texas is above uh, Alabama. But the thing is it hasn't factored in the idea that they would have to beat Georgia in order to do – in order to get to that level. If Alabama is one loss at the end of the season, that means that they have the best, the single best win of any team in the country. Do I think that they get that win? We'll save that discussion for Thursday morning uh, for the next edition of College Football Overtime. I got to keep you waiting, man. I got to keep you, I got to get a tease in there, you know? But one of the most important things that comes out of this Civil War, Oregon and Oregon State, is the fact that we jump into a coaching carousel. Uh, Jonathan Smith is really the first big domino to fall. He takes the job at Michigan State. Um, Mark Stoops, we just talked about that sort of drama and then the lack thereof. And now he's going back to Kentucky. Um, Mississippi State is also set to hire the offensive coordinator for the Oklahoma Sooners, Jeff Levy. Uh, those are the big decisions that have come out. Uh, of course, Houston just fired their head coach. San Diego State, the, I think they're, they're, uh, their head coach is moving on. Uh, the carousel is in full motion. And now that we've officially ended the regular season, I fully expect to see a lot of hires start to happen over the next couple of days. But Jonathan Smith, I want to start there. What are your thoughts on that hire? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, I I don't know if I feel the way about Michigan State that everyone else does in terms of what they can become as a program. But it's about certainty, and it's about the conference at this point and, and the uncertainty that you would face by remaining at Oregon State. Uh, is a little too questionable, and, and, mm. and I think that's why this move gets made. If the Pac-12 still exists, and, and you've got Oregon and Washington and USC and this whole group, I don't think Jonathan Smith makes this move. I, I really don't. Um, but but not knowing what the future is for Oregon State, I understand why he looks um, to find a little more solid ground doing so uh, in the Big Ten. And it's just look, you got a long way to go mm. with, with that program. Um, you start like just like any other rebuild, right? You got to start by getting bowl eligible and then you hit eight wins every year and then you see what you can do from there. So um, it's going to be very interesting to see, but uh, he had done a great job at Oregon state. Uh, and you do look forward to seeing if, if they can get back to where they were a couple times under D'Antonio. Don't forget they were in the big 10 title game. They were in discussions uh, top 20 regularly under Mark D'Antonio. went to a college football so playoff. You can you can play legitimate high-level football at Michigan State, uh, but they haven't been there for quite a while. So we'll see if Jonathan Smith can can uh, get that going. By the way, Indiana also fired their head coach, my alma mater. So um, we'll, we'll see what, what they, they can They play football uh, at Indiana? Uh, not well, but they play <laughs> it. I'm, I am a little surprised, though. Mel Tucker did leave this Michigan State program to a Peach Bowl win. Uh, just two years ago, and then the the wheels fell off, and uh, it's been a little bit of chaos ever since. He, of course, was fired for sexual uh, misconduct allegations. 
Um, he was terminated just halfway through the season or early parts of the season. Jonathan Smith, the first head coach um, to to jump on the carousel and, and make this move. Um, I thought it was a bit of a surprising move. Ultimately, I understand why he made the move. I loved the fit that Jonathan Smith had at Oregon State. Yeah. He's a former Beaver. He played quarterback in the late 90s at uh, Oregon State. <clears throat> there was a sort of a, a – it just sort of made sense. He was going to be the guy who led them into the future. But it's just the best decision for his future, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's really what it comes down to because you don't know if Oregon State and the Pac-2, as it stands right now, is going to be considered a, a potential viable – candidate uh to move into another conference and I, I think they the well was just dry at oregon state and it's just the nature of where the programs are and it's sad i'm not happy about it and it's very disappointing um i know we saw we'll talk about the the other member of the pack two here in a little bit as we get into washington and washington state we'll do that a little bit later in college football overtime this morning um but jonathan smith i, I thought was he did a great job at Oregon State, he won something like, what, 34 games? He he won them a bowl game. He was a Pac-12 coach of the year last year. I thought he was really building a great program. I thought he was really building a great program, and I thought next year was really going to be the takeoff year. Uh, they brought in DJ Uyangalale. He was pretty good. They're going to finish in the top 20 likely this year. Um, the offensive line was really good. David Martinez was really good, the running back. Uh, they were continuing to add some weapons i mean i thought that next year was really going to be the year that they took off and i don't know you got to strike while the iron's hot i understand that he's a, a we saw it with uh with campbell at iowa state sometimes the the boat will pass you by and uh, there's not another ferry behind that one every time so i understand the decision that jonathan jonathan smith made the decision he was forced to make uh, but it's still disappointing. But Mark Stoops to Texas A&M. Well, let's touch on that one real again, real quick again. Yeah, I know you mentioned it. I'll I'll just give my two cents on it before we can move on. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't like that hire. I don't think that Texas A&M liked that hire. I like Mark Stoops as a head coach. I don't like him as the head coach of Texas A&M. All right, let me let me stop you for a second because I, I I think you're you're heading towards how I would like to put it. Um, Mark Stoops does not, and look, I like Mark Stoops. He's done like a Stoops. great job at Kentucky. They're getting the eight wins every year. And I think that's very respectable. Mark Stoops to me does not feel like a head coach that's winning a national championship. And that is what Texas A&M is looking for. That's why it was, um, a little questionable to me, the reporting, not the reporting, but the, the, the idea that he would leave to be there. Doesn't feel like he was going to win a national championship at AM. That's why it didn't really make a lot of sense to me. I like him a lot. He's done a heck of a job. And sometimes, and we've talked about this before, understanding your program and what you can accomplish. Kentucky's not winning a national championship either. But if you could get eight wins, nine wins in the SEC, that's a pretty darn good job. And for a number of years now, Mark Stoops has done a pretty darn good job. But he, he just never grasped me as a guy – who's winning a national championship if he had a little more to work with. And so from that perspective, I was confused by why that was uh, A&M's target. Yeah, he would have been the second Kentucky co coach to uh, to leave Kentucky for Texas A&M. The other one happened back in the 50s. Um, then he moves on to Alabama, and yeah. you know, everyone knows who he is, uh, Bear Bryant. Um, very interesting correlation right there. 
Uh, do with that as you will. <laughs> I'm not necessarily calling Mark Stoops Bear Bryant, but he's a pretty good co coach in his own right. Um, I don't know where they go. I think Lane Kiffin is still really, I, I have my personal, I've already, I've said it on this podcast. I've said it on the college football game time. I've said it elsewhere. I know we've had conversations. I still think that Mike Elko was the best decision for them. Lane Kiffin is also somebody who's in the running for these guys. The, the carousel at Texas A&M, they're the big fish in the pond right now. And they're circling, they're doing whatever they need to do uh, to find their head coach of the future. And I, I fully expect somebody to be hired within the next couple of weeks. Um, I thought that the, the decision to hire Stoops was fast, um, a little quick, but I'd be very surprised if, if something doesn't happen. Really, I would be surprised if, if this time next week, we don't know who the next head coach of Texas A&M is going to be. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, and I'm sure a lot of names are going to circle and we're going to hear a bunch. Uh, maybe by the time we get to the show on Thursday, we'll have an idea. But uh, they aren't the only people who make a decision. The Oklahoma Sooners are now going to be looking for a new offensive coordinator. I don't really know what to make of this hire. Do you have any idea? I know it's not technically officially official, um, but Jeff Levy is targeted to be the next head coach of Mississippi State. Yeah, I, I mean, it's always tough to gauge how good a coordinator is at his job when that school has been doing things that way for a long time. And what I mean is Oklahoma's had an outstanding offense for 20 years. I mean, it feels like they're – I mean, we go back to the national championship from 2008. Like, we were talking about they, they run this many plays and they're up-tempo and they're putting up 45 points a game. So it's tough to gauge, like, just how good of a coordinator he is, how good of a coach he'll be based on the fact that, oh, look, Oklahoma has another top 10 offense this year. Um, so, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but he is a recognizable name. Uh, he knows big-time football, and with Oklahoma <laughs> moving into the SEC next year, a little bit of familiarity uh, from that perspective. He led the Oklahoma Sooners in his two years there with Brent Venables as the head coach. He was the number 33 offense in 2022, the number four offense in yeah. 2023. It kind of feels like where Mississippi state's weight classes. It's not, uh, I, I actually, I honestly, I thought that they might go out and hire an old name. Um, uh, Oh shoot. What's his name? I'm blanking on his name. Uh, the old Florida coach, Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen. I was blanking. I had his name and then it just, it just eviscerated. Mullen will be back coaching this year. I've heard him circled around for a couple of different schools. Mm -hmm. I know, he reportedly went up to Syracuse and talked with them. So we'll, we'll see what where it is for Mullen. But he he didn't seem too interested in going back to Mississippi State at this time. Yeah, I, I thought that would have been a very interesting hire. But I, I think that this is kind of where uh, Mississippi State lives. Um, yeah. And I, I think this is a good hire for them. We'll make I'll make more of it. I'll look into it a little bit more as we go along, and I'll really come to a decision. But Abe, there's also football that we need to get to um, because. There was some drama down on the flats here in the beautiful city of Atlanta. I was out at the game until very late. Um, <laughs> these night games are are going to kill me uh, one of these days. But the Georgia Bulldogs set the SEC record for the longest win streak in conference history, now up to 29 games in a row. Third straight 12-0 season for Kirby Smart and Dogs. Kendall Milton shined in this game, 156 yards for him, which is a career high and a season high for any Georgia running back this season. Uh, but really, I was interested in what the Georgia offense looked like in the absence of Brock Bowers, in the absence of Ra-Ra Thomas, in the absence of Lad McConkey. You could see that they really just wanted to run 
the football. And that's pretty much what they did all game. Um, quarterback uh, Carson Beck only throws for 175 yards. He has the interception on a tip pass in the end zone. Uh, but really, on the Georgia Tech side, this felt like a game of missed opportunities. Uh, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But Abe, what were your thoughts? Yeah, only threw the ball 20 times, as you mentioned. Three of your key receivers were out. Um, you know, some of them, you know, yes, injured, but also just you figured you could win this game and you were making sure you can get as close to 100% for Alabama as possible. And mm. it did impact the offense. Now, they still put up 31 points, so so that's pretty strong. Um, but, 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 yeah, it just didn't feel like the Georgia team that had been cruising in recent weeks. And I do think a lot of that was because you took the ball out of Carson Beck's hands for for uh, a, a a reason you felt was comfortable, and and that's how this game played out. I think Georgia Tech did good to hold in there just long enough to make a little push at the end. Ultimately, came up short. Uh, Haynes King wasn't great through the air, but very effective on the ground mm. uh, in his moments. And um, yeah, it, it was it was sloppy. Um, Georgia didn't seem overly focused, uh, outside of the idea that you're missing some key elements on offense. Mm -hmm. Uh, you still would have thought you'd have been better, uh, a little bit better on defense. And now it's up to you to judge if that's a concern heading into the SEC title game. I, I think it's a game where uh, coming off of the three opponents you had, uh, the ranked, the, the ranked opponents for Georgia two at home. And then obviously on the road a week ago, yeah. um, that, that 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 you were due for a little uh, a little bit of lack of focus, and, and you obviously don't want that to be in a rivalry game. You try and use that as a reason to stay sharp. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think they had it uh, on Saturday night. I, I think they're saving a lot of it for um, uh, for the SEC title game. So I, I'm just not going to overreact to what was not an elite performance from the Bulldogs. But um, I'll let you speak about Georgia Tech and what you saw from them because they look. You, it's a loss. You have to take that but um pretty good showing uh in spite of that yeah no more victories for for head coach Brent Key he was pretty firm on that in the post game um and look Georgia Tech they allowed Georgia to score 24 unanswered points they jumped to a 31 to 13 lead and then Georgia had a chance to really put the final nail in the coffin and that was the interception that I talked about uh, a penalty I think it was an ineligible man downfield brings back a touchdown and then Georgia Tech holds on the goal line and and then they score 10 points in the fourth quarter to really hold on uh and look they did everything that they should have done to win this game like when i when we previewed this game on saturday on college football game time and then on, on last thursday when we talked about it here right here on college football overtime i said that they had to do two things i said they had to win the turnover margin and they had to run the ball successfully they did those two things they ran or they, they won the turnover margin two to nothing Almost went three to nothing, by the way. Um, and then they ran the ball successfully. They they had 200 yards, 205 yards on the ground. They were only the second team to do that to a Kirby Smart defense since 2018, Abe. Uh, I'll be at the second time this season. Uh, Auburn was the other one that, that, that did it. And, of course, you saw the, that Georgia struggled. And what did those two teams have in common? They had running quarterbacks, mobile quarterbacks who like to extend plays and do things with his legs. Um, so that's going to be a major key going into Thursday. But we'll get into that on Thursday. But look, this is a Georgia Tech team that in the last three seasons, they had been outscored by Georgia 134 to 21, including a game that they lost 45 to nothing. This was a fantastic effort. Like Eric Singleton, like he came about this close to getting a touchdown right before, right before the half. Uh, 
that would have made this a very interesting game, which would have, I don't know if it was going to tie it up. I don't remember what the exact score was at halftime, but it would have changed the complexion of this game. He misses by this much. And of course, then they miss a field goal on the next play. Uh, like this was an opportunity that Georgia Tech missed out on. And I thought that they played well enough to win this football game. And that burns Georgia Tech fans. And it's it feels like it, it's a culture that's being established. It is a it's a mentality that's being built with Brent Key in this program. I, I I really like where the Georgia Tech football program is right now. They are still a little ways away from playing a complete game and putting away a team like Georgia. But I think that there's room to build, and I think that this is this is the first thing in a, a a couple good building blocks that we're going to see down the line as they play in their first bowl game since 2018. Let me just ask you about a decision that was made in the first half. Uh, Georgia Tech's got the ball inside the red zone. It's fourth and inches, uh, and they decide to take the field goal. Uh, To me, in this sort of game, you you have to understand you're not the better team. Um, You got to go for it. You got you got to risk coming up empty. Uh, You're you're not beating Georgia with field goals. I was very confused by that decision. Brent Key uh, surprised me by taking the points there. I I was also pretty surprised by that decision. I, I tweeted about it actually. Um, and I said, this is not a game that you're going to win with field goals. Yeah. You have an opportunity. You're deep in their territory uh, and they settled for three points. Uh, and of course, maybe that was the difference in this game, but honestly, we asked, we asked coach key about that in, in post game and, and, and Brent key said that was the game plan. That's what they said that they were going to do in the beginning of the game. Coming into this contest, he said that they were going to, not that they were going to settle for field goals, but that they were going to take points when points were available. Uh, Burr has done a great job of connecting on field goals. And and look, at the end of the day, they don't know how many opportunities they're going to have to get down there. So they have to take every point that they can. Uh, that was the game plan coming into the game. And he stuck by that. He said that you can't make quote emotional decisions when you're in games like this. I felt like that is a point in the game where you need touchdowns. You need to score. I disagree with that decision. Yeah, I, I, I thought that the, the thing about that comment is taking the points and not making emotional decisions. That can refer to not going for it at the thirty-yard line um, and kicking a forty-five-yarder or whatever. That that doesn't you're on the that doesn't line. correlate to when you're inside the five. And if you fail, they they've got the ball inside and they've got to go ninety-five. I, I disagree with that comment, but. He's I do, the head I do coach, too. not me. Yeah, I do too. He, that's just what he said. He said that they wanted to uh, just take. I, I, no, I, I, I do think teams gamble too often uh, when agree. they probably shouldn't. And we look, that's what costs Oregon the game ultimately against Washington was, was you should have taken some points. But uh, I thought this was a different scenario because of how deep in the territory you were. But but that was anyways. one of the biggest things is is that was one of the difference differences in this game is, is that Georgia Tech was not able to. And you would think that they had a, a, a terrible third down conversion percentage i want to say they were like yeah they're two of 11 so i'm looking at right here two of 11 and you would think that that oh that means that they they were like third and long no they just couldn't convert on third and one through four yards so they were in those situations where it was third and short and they still couldn't get it done so it just feels like a game of missed opportunities for georgia tech but the biggest thing is georgia is undefeated for the third season in a row Uh, they move on to the sec championship game they're going to face a daunting test with Alabama coming to town. It's a, it's a renewal of uh, what's become a pretty interesting rivalry, a game that I'm fascinated to watch. I think these are two of the best teams in the country 
and we're going to get to a slugfest of a game on Saturday. But, of course, we're going to break all of that down right here on College Football Overtime coming up on Thursday, so make sure you are here for that. Speaking of the Alabama Crimson Tide, they were in a slugfest. 27-24, to 24, they win the Iron Bowl in a game that is now etched in Iron Bowl lore. Fourth and 31, the Milrow Miracle. I don't, I've seen a lot of different names for it. I, I think they're still trying to figure that out. Uh, look, Milrow continues to shine. 259 yards for the quarterback, two touchdowns, 107 yards rushing. Jermaine Burton had a big game here. His legs are a problem, and he is a difference maker when he is able to get out of the pocket and make plays with his legs. Alabama becomes a completely different beast, and – Look, they win this game. They don't look good in it. Uh, I don't know if it was the the crowd or, or whatever it was, but they looked sloppy for a long time. But it didn't matter because when you have a difference maker, a clutch factor in Jalen Milrow, that is all that matters. And look, the, the, the difference between what this Alabama team was early in the season and what they are now is just night and day. And I think if you're if you're looking at this team, and this is the team that played Texas A&M, if this is the team that played uh, much less South Florida or Texas, they lose this game. But this is a different Alabama team. They feel like a team that just has put it all together, and they're peaking at the right time. Yeah, and uh, from the other aspect of this, the other side of this, if you're an Auburn fan, I, oh. I, I mean, what's what's Hugh Freeze's buyout? I, I mean, you lose to. <laughs> New Mexico State, and then and then on on fourth in the game from fifty yards away, you give up that pass. I, it's just pathetic. Um, it, it's inexcusable. Where's the pressure? Uh, I they rushed three, and, and yet they didn't have the full end zone covered. I have no they, look. There's no explanation for it. Uh, we talked about before the game. Look, you lost to New Mexico State. If you're Hugh Hughes freeze, can you get a little get back? Can you make up for it today? Uh, in the Iron Bowl, and they were very close to doing so. And you're like, all right. And then uh, Hugh Freeze going to Hugh Freeze, unfortunately. And it, it was a pathetic uh, performance on that final drive defensively for for Auburn, who had played so tough and so tight. Um, look, uh, I, I agree. I was not impressed with Alabama. But in, in the end, um, you know, I haven't always been impressed <clears throat> with Washington either. Uh, I wasn't impressed with Michigan against Maryland. But wins are not easy at high-level college football. Uh, mm-hmm. And to remain in the discussion for the college football playoffs, it was a game that Alabama needed to have, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 they brought this one home. Um, it, it it was kind of stunning because it did look uh, like it was was gone. That the you know even with an SEC, if they lost this game, even with an SEC championship, Over. they're they're not in. Uh, and so now they're back to uh, playing for all of it uh, a week from now and. Yeah, Milrow is dangerous with his legs. I still see way too much reliance on the pass game, uh, on guys being uncovered deep. We'll see how that plays out. We'll talk about that as we game plan for Georgia and Alabama. But um, at the end of the day, I, I am I am pleased with the result because I wanted the SEC championship to mean something for both teams, not just for Georgia, and it still does. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's and we ran into that situation last year, where you have a a pretty good LSU team, but they had two losses and it was just going to be too much for them. Excuse me. Uh, Jalen Milrow is of course the story of this game, but Auburn they run the ball really well. Yeah, um, they had another. They, you could see what the game plan was. Just they found some holes. Game, 
they found some holes. And I think without trying to get in and start previewing Georgia and Alabama, this is this is very difficult to do because that's all I want to talk about now. Um, I'm so excited about that, but I want to give Auburn their flowers for playing as well as they did on offense, despite Peyton Thorne throwing two interceptions, uh, only completing 91 yards uh, or going for 91 yards. And, oh, God, it was a dreadful completion percentage. But they ran the ball really well. Uh, Peyton Thorne, 57 yards on the ground. Damari Alston, 85 yards on the ground. Darquez Hunter, 93 yards on the ground. 6.6 yards per carry, 8.5 yards per carry for Alston. Wow. Like, it, it wasn't just the quarterback. Like, when, when we talked about Auburn running for 200 yards on Georgia earlier this season, it was quarterback runs. And it was broken plays, and the quarterback just, like, sweeps out to the outside, and, and it's just sort of big play happens. That's not really the way this game happened. It was running backs gashing. And Alston runs for 56 yards in this game. He has one run of 56 yards. Uh, Jarquez Hunter has a run of 42 they were get, getting gash plays. They were picking up yards on the ground in chunks. And Auburn, I mean, you see the identity, but damn it, they need a quarterback. They need somebody to be able to complete the passes down the field if they ever want to get to that next level. If you had that in this game, that's probably the difference. And I see what Hugh Freeze is building. It's going to take some time. Um, and I think he's going to be very active in the transfer portal coming up this offseason. Uh, but they do get to play in a bowl game. They're six and six. Uh, Hugh Freeze in his first season at Auburn. They are going to be playing uh, in a bowl game coming up in December. But it feels like a season of missed opportunities, uh, of course, for Auburn. They they had the big skid, and then it, it felt like they got back on track uh, with that win against Arkansas. But they rebounded it in a nice way. Uh, you Look, you lost to an embarrassing, disgusting game to New Mexico State just last week. And then you respond with this effort against Alabama. You said that where what's the Hugh Freeze buyout? I completely disagree. I know you're joking, but uh, at the end of the day, it's like, look, this is this is an Alabama squad that felt like it was a team. It feels almost like a team of destiny, and I hate using that phrase. They have a miracle at the end of a game, and and I know Auburn's been the benefactor of some miracles in this rivalry in recent years. So I felt like almost like Alabama was due, right? It's just wild. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously the the buyout comments a joke, but yeah, it, 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 you still got you got to find a way to win this game from the yeah. position you were in. It, it's completely inexcusable, and yeah, obviously the, he's not on the field making plays. But um, between last week and then how this one ended, that that's it's not a good look to the start of uh, your career there at Auburn. Not fun, but quickly, I want to get into something. Uh, the South Carolina Gamecocks had an opportunity to beat Clemson, but they lose. 16 to 7 is your score. I just have a quick comment on Dabo Sweeney, uh, and I'll let you follow up if you have anything else you want to say on it. Dabo Sweeney has done a great job, and I ripped him on this podcast. I've ripped him on the show. I've ripped him on air. I've, I've done it a lot of different ways because he deserved it, because he deserved it. Uh, but he's righted the ship, and it wasn't pretty. It wasn't always easy, uh, but they finished the season with what I think they won four games in a row, three, four games in a row. They had the big win against North Carolina last week, Georgia tech. Uh, they dominated Georgia tech. And then they just sort of win this sort of slot fest against South Carolina. Uh, but they do it with defense. They, they found an identity. They want to run the ball. They go for 219 yards on the ground here. And then they play suffocating defense. But at the end of the day, they need to figure out the quarterback position. Kate Klubnick has been, 
not good. Uh, and if you ever want to get back to competing for national championships, I don't know if Dabo Sweeney is ever going to get back to that level again. Uh, they finished the season eight and four, which is far cry from where they were just a few weeks ago. Uh, but Dabo Sweeney, g- give him credit. He helped write the ship. They found an identity, play stuff, tough defense and run the ball. Is that going to be enough to win a national championship or even an ACC championship over the next couple of years? Absolutely not. But they're going to be in every game they play as long as they can do those two things well. Look, they lost back-to-back games midway through the season to Miami and NC State. And you look at their last four, and you're like, man, uh, they're getting at two and two. Are they going to go one and three? Could they go zero oh and four? Uh, ranked Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, ranked North Carolina, and then the road game to the Gamecocks, and they win all four of them. And, and so, just to to close my my thoughts on Dabo, he he did do a good job to restabilize some things uh, through what was a shaky middle part uh, of, of this season. Uh, both on the field and then also at, at the press conferences and at coaches' shows and, and all sorts of other aspects. So he did a good job to kind of restabilize it, uh, kind of find some solid ground moving into next year. But you're right, there, there needs to be some changes. And obviously the hesitation with the transfer portal, they need to go get a quarterback. And there's a couple out there, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I think it's going to be very interesting. I don't know if he's going to jump into the portal. I think that's really the biggest thing. for. Well, me. fine. Then, then we'll be right here talking about the same thing a year from now. I know. I hear you. We'll see what happens with that. We'll see if Kate Klubnick sticks around. I, I don't know if he will. Uh, but look, South Carolina is now left anxiously waiting to see if they're going to make a bowl game. They finished the season five and seven. Uh, so they don't control that destiny. They may not get that extra game and those extra practices that mean so much to programs. Uh Season is just a disappointing season for South Carolina. It ends with a dud uh, against your arch rival. And it wasn't pretty for Clemson, but it doesn't matter. You you do the big thing and you keep your, your opponent out of a, a bowl game. Um, and you finish the season on a, on a hot streak. And uh, let's move down to the the Sunshine State real quick, Abe. And I know this is a, a frustrating game for you. I know you're you a big Florida guy. Uh, but look, the Gators score the first 12 points in this game. And they look like they are well on their way to upsetting the Knolls. Then it's 24 to 3, unanswered 24 to 3 run for the Seminoles, and they finish the season undefeated for Mike Novell. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, uh, th- this was a, uh, a disastrous showing for Billy Napier. Uh, they, they, Florida had control, they, they were the better team for a large part of the, the first half. Uh, they did not take advantage mm-hmm. of the situations they have. Uh, and Billy Napier was very, very soundly outcoached. A- and look, I don't think he's on the hot seat, but but the, the sort of coaching performance that he had yesterday um, does make you question a, a lot of things. Um, and I don't know if he can win in the SEC, being the quality of game day coach that he's shown himself to be. Now, we give him a chance with the <clears throat> recruits that he has coming in uh, and whether they stick with Merch or, or move to um, DJ Lagway. Uh, I mean, we'll see what the plan is at quarterback there next year. Um, you got to get eight wins, and I don't care how difficult the schedule is. If if he's not at eight wins next year, you can kiss him goodbye. Uh, I mean, I'll be done with him if he's the same quality of coach uh, game day that that he seemed to be on Saturday night. From the Florida State perspective, I think they did a very good job. Took a while to settle in, yeah. and that's part of it when you're breaking in a new quarterback, right? Took a while to settle in. They figured out what was working for him, what he was comfortable doing, how to find holes. Uh, with Trey Benson was outstanding, um, taking a little bit of pressure off Roadmaker. 
Um, and, and then the playmakers, Wilson especially, but Keon Coleman as well, um, did what they had to do and pick up the extra slack. So they mm-hmm. now move into another week of practice preparing for uh, a Louisville team that is better than Florida, that is more explosive than Florida. And uh, Florida State's going to have to to button up some of the mistakes as well. Um, uh, need to work on the offensive line a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's an outstanding regular season with or without Jordan Travis for, for Mike Norvell and the Seminoles. One they should be proud of, and, and we'll see if they get rewarded by an ACC title win and potentially college football playoff berth. Yeah, Max Brown didn't do what I expected him to do in this game, which was use his legs. Yeah. Um, he was negative five yards. <clears throat> I think that had, I think that's not sack adjusted. Um, excuse me. Um, but Trey Benson is the big story in this game for me. Three touchdowns on the ground, 95 yards. He's the guy who got to break the rock in the locker room after the game. Florida State did a better job adjusting, like you said. Like they, Tate Rodemaker was fine. Like he was okay. But coming into this spot on the road against your rival, back against the wall, looking to, to clinch a, a spot in a bowl game. You did a great job. Rodemaker did. I mean, you got the ball to your playmakers. Johnny Wilson had six catches in this game, 64 yards. Uh, but if you're Florida, it's like, look, at the end of the day, Billy Napier's 11 and 14 in two seasons. He's missing a bowl game in year two. He's one in five in rivalry games. I, and it's, I don't know, man. I, I, has he taken a step back this year? Yeah, I, I think he has. Um but I think that's I think that's largely okay if you can then take a step forward next year. But you you can't be humming around bowl eligibility. And look, mm. I've seen some reports that they're they're floating some feelers out just to see who may be interested, and they're not going to make the call on Napier until after they have a couple guys that say no, not interested at this time or something like that. But um, we'll we'll see how it plays out. But yeah, yeah Billy Napier's not getting it done. Uh, there's no mm. doubt about that. And. He, he's got one more shot, in my opinion. Maybe, maybe not even that, but he's got one more shot next year, and you better get eight wins, and uh, or, or or else you can you can join Jimbo Fisher in the scrap heap. So, but we we talked about it earlier. We already said that you can't like this is not a this is not a Florida State team that's going to be missing the playoff, despite the fact that Jordan Travis is injured. Um, but look, at the end of the day, like this is this is a Florida State team that looks like a, it's a shell of its former self. And maybe they just needed to get past the get over the hump. And maybe they, they just needed a game like this where they were going to, you know, skate by and get through. And um, well, look, we, we I'll say this: we we saw Georgia look a little flat against Georgia Tech. We we yeah. saw Alabama look a little flat uh, against Auburn. I'm going to increase the sample size. Uh, we saw Washington look flat against Washington State. I'm going to increase the sample size on this. I'm not going to gain or, or gauge too much. Uh, about the Seminoles without Jordan Travis just on this game because it is a road game. It is a rivalry <laughs> game. Um, and, and we saw plenty of teams not look that good against lesser opponents. So I, I'm going to give them a little bit more leeway than I would have if it was a different point of the season. Yeah, and this is a team that's going to move up to number three in the rankings based off of the the outcome of the Michigan-Ohio State game. Uh, but before we get into that one, into the game, the biggest game of the day, I do want to talk about the Apple Cup. You mentioned – Washington skating by Washington State 24 to 21 is your score in that game uh Michael Penix had to look away as they kicked the game-winning field goal as as time expired 204 yards for him two touchdowns one interception it looks like he's almost played his way out of a out of a Heisman trophy I don't think that he's in that conversation anymore 
He's looked a lot more human, uh, but Cam Ward does everything he can to win this game. 317 yards for him, three touchdowns. Does have the two interceptions, though. This was a bit of a slop fest. I, I mean, but it's a rivalry game. Crazy things happen in these kinds of games. Uh, but they, look, the first 12-0 season in how long? Uh, it's been a very long time. It's the first undefeated season in Pac-12 play since 2010. Um, look, celebrate. 12-0. 12-0 is a big deal. And it doesn't matter how you get there at the end of the day. If you are an undefeated conference champion, like we said with Florida State, you are in. And this is one step closer. It felt it feels like they peaked against Oregon and they've gotten progressively worse and worse all season. But as you mentioned, just like Florida State, just like Michigan, just like Georgia, you get to and through your conference title game undefeated, mm-hmm. you're going to be in the college football playoffs. And uh, uh, the troubling thing is you wanted to see them play a little bit better heading into what is bound to be a very difficult uh, conference title game against Oregon. Oregon blew out Oregon State uh, on in Civil War. Um, Oregon has looked great pretty much every single game. And Washington, you can't say that for. So uh, I I don't know how they did it the first time. They're going to have to find a way to do it a second time, though. Um, And and they're not going to be able to do it at the quality and level of play that they've been at in recent weeks. But uh, finding ways to win is finding ways to win, and they keep doing that. Yeah, and this is a game that Oregon State actually outgains you. Um, was it three, like 50 yards or so? I don't know what Washington is, really. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like you win the game, and winning is enough. But at the – I don't know. And, I, and, I'm, and again, I'm going to do the same thing that I did when I started teasing the, uh, the the SEC championship game discussion, we're going to have a further discussion right here on college football overtime coming up on Thursday. But man, I don't know if they're going to be able to contend again with Oregon. I, I I'm hard pressed because it looks like Oregon is a team peaking. Washington is a team that's not. They're doing enough to win, but Bo Nix looks unstoppable right now. Bucky Irving, he looks like a beast in the backfield. I mean. You've got playmakers too. Roma Dunze is, is he was a beast in this game. Seven catches, 120 yards, two touchdowns. But it's like at the end of the day, it's like you need other people to step up and have big games. You know, like where was Dylan Johnson? He had 82 yards in this game, but I was expecting him to take over in this one. And he really didn't. He did enough. And look, at the end of the day, you do enough to win and you're in position to win football games. And then you're in position to make a college football playoff run. But if you're Washington State, feels like a year of missed opportunities as well. I talked about it with a few teams now. This is the third team in a row that's going to miss a bowl game that we've talked about that finishes the season five and seven. Uh, I don't know. They looked like a much better team at one point this season, and then the wheels just fell off. Uh, the defense played well. They held Washington to to 300 yards. Uh, they sacked Penix twice, and ultimately the offense, ironically, is the thing that just doesn't get it done. I'm a little disappointed for Washington state and how that season finished. I've been off of their bandwagon for a while. Uh, I, I understand how they started and in, in some of the games that they look great at the start of the season, they actually ended up being ranked at one point, but mm. uh, they, that that's why you don't play a full season. That's why you don't take sure. a three game sample size or four game sample size and uh, presume something. And uh, kind of on the flip side, it, same thing with Arizona, right? You buried them early on in the season and now look what they've become. Uh, top 15 program or, or, or at least this season. So uh, yeah, disappointing, no doubt about it. Based on where you start, we've seen 
starts like that and finishes like this cost coaches their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you make that a habit, so uh, just something, something you want to avoid next year. Yeah. So last one for us today, I do want to get into the game of the year, likely uh, Michigan and Ohio state, Michigan loses its third or wins its third game in a row against Ohio state. Ohio state looked like they figured everything out. They they were on top of this rivalry. It looks like they, they were, they were never going to fall off anytime soon. And uh, this is, this is a squad that had won eight games in a row, including seven perfect seven and up for urban Meyer when he was here. Uh, Michigan has just taken complete control of this rivalry. They win 30 to 24. Kyle McCord throws an interception, his second of the day on the final drive of the game. He had a chance to etch his name into the game lore. Uh, but he, of course, throws the interception there. Looks like he was driving them down the field. Michigan had settled for a field goal on the on the drive before, leaving the door open for Ohio State to come in and shock them on the road. But at the end of the day, these are two of the best defenses in the country. They showed why they're as dominant as they are. J.J. McCarthy, again, doesn't really do a lot to impress me. Uh, he finishes with 148 yards passing. Uh, he does a little bit with his legs, but Blake Corum is still the reason that Michigan wins football games. I don't know if this is a Michigan team that can contend with an Oregon or a, a, a Georgia, or, or I don't know what they're going to look like even next week as we get into the game against Iowa. I don't really know what to make of this football game. Uh, these are two really good football teams. I don't know if they're two of the four best teams in America, though. Am I crazy for thinking that? Yeah, I think you are, to, to be honest. And I guess it depends on Ohio State to, to base what you think of Michigan. I, I will say this. Um, the questions we had about Ohio State and Kyle McCord most of this season is the reason they lost this game. Uh, he did not make the plays. He did not have the throws. Uh, when he needed to and you talk about the two interceptions and obviously the one at the end of the game to wrap things up a lot of uh, he was under a lot of pressure he got hit as he throwed and kind of floated around in the mm-hmm. middle of the field didn't get enough on it and, and that's going to happen uh, I disagree with you about JJ McCarthy though uh, 16 of 20 uh, for almost 150 yards uh, obviously not the the, the the highest passing total we've ever seen uh, but very efficient didn't make mistakes it made a couple big time throws and I hadn't seen that from him in recent weeks. I really hadn't. Um, but I thought when Michigan needed him mm-hmm. to make some plays, he had some really high quality throws um, that, that, that put them in position. Uh, look, Ryan day screwed things up at, at the end of the first half uh, mm-hmm. with his clock management and his decision-making Ohio state had chances and they bungled them and Michigan took advantage. And then Blake Corum, uh, did Blake Corum things, uh, got a little revenge from last year. We only played a couple of plays before exiting with a knee injury. And um, I understand what you're saying. I, I do. And look, they didn't look dynamic against Penn State. They were flat against Maryland. And they win this game. They're not dominant. So now we're trying to gauge, all right, well, how good was Ohio State for them to be a little bit better than the Buckeyes and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that? I, I get it. Um, and look, I, the way Iowa plays, it's probably not going to be that pretty a week from now either. Probably not. Um, but I do think this Michigan offensive line is legitimate and can stand up to anyone's pressure. Uh, I, I do think defensively 
Michigan's pretty strong, especially when an opposing team doesn't have two first-round receivers like Abuka and like Harrison, and, and potentially even, in my opinion, a first-round tight end in Stover. Um, so I, I, I think they're facing a lot more than we give credit for, a lot more than most of their opponents would potentially put forth. Um, but, but the difference to me was about Kyle McCord. Uh, I, he just wasn't good enough in, in, in a big game, and that was the concern all season long. Um, it kind of quieted down after that final drive against Notre Dame. Um, but unfortunately, in the biggest moments uh, for both him and for Ryan Day, they, they both come up short. Yeah, and and one of the most important things in this game, too, uh, Zach Zenter goes down, the All-American guard for Michigan. Uh, that's going to be a very interesting thing to watch as they move ahead to the Big Ten title game matchup with Iowa. He's one of the best players in America. Um, yeah. And that's a big loss for a Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. And I hear what you're saying about J.J. McCarthy. I mean, like, look, he did what he needed to do to win the football game. 16 of 20, of course, very impressive finish. Um, I just want to see more from him. I, yeah, I, don't know I, I get is. that. I and get that. Maybe that's just me. But Kyle McCord had an opportunity here in this game, um, and he made a foolish decision. You have – it was a bad throw. He and it's like in this game, you have opportunities to stand up and make a play. And Michigan got some pressure in his face and he looked like he panicked. And at the end of the day, if you are a high level college football quarterback, if you're playing at Ohio State, if you're playing at a Michigan, if you're playing it in, in like a game that matters at this at, at this level, you got to take the hit. You got to stand in the pocket and you got to throw the ball and make the play. And he didn't do that. And that is just an unfortunate reality for Ohio State. They throw the interception and they lose the game. And Ryan Day, I don't know if, if – Ryan Day is going to receive a lot of criticism for this game. You, the, the clock mismanagement, like you mentioned, uh, you're down, you've lost three games in a row. The, the Ohio State has not lost three games in a row since Tom Brady was playing for the Blue. It's been a long time. It's been a very, very long time. Ryan Day is going to have to hear about this for another 365 days. And we talked about it on, on the show on Saturday. Is he on the hot seat now? They snuck into the playoff last year. Uh, whether or not they deserve to be in the playoff last year, that's whatever, not, not even worth discussing. It was always the, yeah, but they've lost to Michigan. And now they're not going to make the playoff. It's, it's, it's just not happening. There are too many good teams that are in position to win conference championship games, they're out. It's done. So now you're going to play maybe in a Rose Bowl, which is a hell of a consolation prize, um, unless Iowa, of course, wins the Big Ten title game. But, of course, I'm not going to get into all that nonsense. It's just whatever. Not the discussion. You play in a Rose Bowl, that's not enough for Ohio State. They're, they're there to compete for national championships, and they're there to beat Michigan. He hasn't done either in the last three years. He's made two college football playoffs they haven't beaten Michigan at what point is the hot is the seat hot I think he enters next season with very clear criteria and that is if you lose a four straight to Michigan you're fired um I, I don't think it needs to be that difficult of a decision or any more cut and dry than that if you lose again to Michigan I don't care if you enter the game 11 and 0 you're done mm -hmm. um and that's that's the end of it and look that that's the pressure you have when you take a job like 
Ohio State over from Urban Meyer. It, it is a program that was winning national championships and then that discussion every single year. Um, and and you've kind of maintained it, but also not really. Um, and, and look, it, it's tough to say that you're not doing a good enough job when you go 11 and one every year, right? Like mm-hmm. I understand how wild that sounds. Um, but at the same time, unless you want to get, and look, I, I love Mark Richt. Um, so I don't want this to sound like a slight, but unless you want to end up where you're just stuck with a Mark Richt, you've got to get past that. Uh, and, and look, Mark Richt went damn near 10 and two every year. Um, and, and never got, came within five yards of getting Georgia to where it needed to be, but didn't pick up those yards and didn't get, uh, where they needed to be at the end of the day. And it cost him his job. And, uh, you, you took over a program that was still at national title level and you haven't gotten one. Um, the question for me is, I mean, yes, Ryan Day's hot seat, but what about Kyle McCord? Um, I, I don't know if you can if you're if you're Ryan Day and, and needing uh pretty much to go 12 and 0 next year including a win mm-hmm. over Michigan. I don't know if I'm making Kyle McCord my quarterback or at least um I'm certainly not naming him that. There there's I don't know who's in the transfer <clears> portal. <throat> I don't know their recruiting class, but it is going to be a wide open competition because I'm not staking my job security if I'm Ryan Day on the shoulders of Kyle McCord. I, I just don't think he's good enough uh to feel safe in that role no um probably not but they do have a a very talented quarterback by the name of air nolan from langston hughes right here in atlanta who's going to be going up there next year he's the the number one dual threat quarterback in the class of 2024 uh i i don't know if they're going to start a freshman i think that'd be very interesting uh if they ended up I, I, well i'm that. not starting kyle mccord if i don't have to kyle mccord has been uh disappointing uh, this season, he has just not gotten it done. He's been ineffective um, in the biggest moments. And at the end of the day, I-, I thought he'd turn things around. He'd been doing a lot better. He'd been taking care of the football. And that, at the end of the day, was enough. And honestly, it was also running the ball better. And Michigan snuffs him out, really. Uh, I mean, that's good defense. And look. I, yeah, I think two- that part is Michigan. I think the McCord that part issues Michigan. from McCord. But, but that McCord, runs, yeah. yeah. Yes. So Travion Henderson, of course, he has the, the touchdown in this game, uh, but Michigan largely bottles him up. And that was going to be the emphasis in this game is it's like which quarterback plays the better football game. And J.J. McCarthy did play the better football game. Kyle McCord just didn't get it done. And and it's maybe it's an unfair criticism, but look, that is the pressure of playing for an Ohio State. You have to be perfect. Like, look, we saw a, a quarterback last year at the Peach Bowl who was damn near perfect, and he still lost. Yeah. And that's just the nature of the game that we play. And you just have to accept that reality. And as of right now, Comic Court is just not getting it done. I, I tend to agree with you. I don't know who the next option is. I don't know if you start a freshman. I think it'd be an interesting decision. Uh, year two with Kyle McCord, we'll see if it's a little bit better for Ryan Day. But you're 0-3. You've, lost a thir- you've only won a third of your games against Michigan. And that's just not going to get it done. And I tend to agree with you. He enters the 2024 season on a very warm seat with clear cut expectations. You're beating Michigan and you're competing for a national championship or bust. That's it. 
That's all there is to it. Uh, did you have any more comments on Michigan? No, I, I just I'm interested to see how they look against Iowa. Um, it's going to be an ugly game, so I'm not going to grade too much out of that. I actually think Iowa has a better chance than a lot of people give credit for. Um, now, I'm not saying like it's a 50-50 game here, but um, I actually think Iowa uh, in the right scenario actually could win that game. So I'm interested to see it. Um, but to your point, how good is Michigan? I'd like to see them um, kind of obliterate Iowa uh, to, to kind of stamp it as they head into the playoffs, but we'll see. I'm going to leave you here with this thought. Would you be surprised if Ryan Day is the next head coach of Texas A&M? I would not. I, I've thought about it. Uh, I don't think it would be a good move for him. Uh, I, I think the best chance to win and to regain solid footing is just to stay at Ohio State and stop screwing up and actually <laughs> beat Michigan. Like, I mean, I mean, just because you you are you are like one good quarter away of going back to the college football playoffs, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, they're not that far off. I know it's frustrating and and all that but um look he's gonna get an offer there, there's no doubt hey you know come on down yep. here man you don't have to do all that pressure and and uh you know enough of the hot seat talk and yeah i, I get it but uh no i i don't think that uh in the end will will be how it plays out so we have a very fascinating slate of games that we're going to get into right here on college football overtime next week coming on friday we have the pac-12 title game washington and oregon i am so ready for that game. Played in Las Vegas, Nevada, the beautiful Las Vegas. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun at Legion Stadium. Battle between two top six programs, who I think two top five programs, probably by the time they actually end up lining up and playing. I'm thrilled for that game. Oklahoma State in Texas playing in the Big 12 title game. We'll talk about that one. Uh, Georgia and Alabama. That's going to be a fascinating matchup, a, re a renewal of a, of a rivalry that's become a lot of fun to watch and talk about. Michigan and Iowa, like we talked about. Louisville and Florida State in the ACC title game. Lots of great football games, Abe. We got to break it all down right here on College Football Overtime. But for you, the listener, you got to make sure you're subscribed. Like it. Set, it. set a reminder on your phone. Every Thursday morning, we talk about the upcoming games. Just like every Monday, we react to them right here on College Football Overtime. His name is Abe Gordon. My name is Garrett Chapman. Thank you so much for joining us right here on College Football Overtime. Like I said, we'll see you again on Thursday. Y'all take care.